0: I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological.
1: Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: All right, Miami!
1: What's up, Dolph fans? Welcome into the Monday, June the 18th edition of the Lockdown On Dolphins podcast, I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we've got a very special guest joining us to talk about the Dolphins' off-season program. Who is the most impressive rookie? Is this culture change for real? Are Mike Gusecki's early struggles a concern? How are these players adapting to the new coaching staff? And much, much more. But first, I kindly invite you guys to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingful NFL. You can follow the show at Locked on Fins, And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for your daily written Dolphins content needs we have stuff up there every single day multiple times a day and of course the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts like the Lockdown Heat podcast and Lockdown NFL podcast for all your NBA off-season news and in-season NFL news for national and local coverage let's not waste any more time and get our guest on right now that's another Miami Dolphins and I'm excited to welcome back into the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You can hear him as a regular guest on the Dave Damaschek Football Program podcast. He's the VP of International Marketing and Fan Development of the NFL. He's also the Director of Programming at NFL.com and a fellow displaced Dolphins fan, Henry Hodgson of NFL Media. Henry, thanks for coming back on the podcast.
0: Great to be back, Travis. Thank you for having me back.
1: Yeah, of course. We had a lot of uh, a lot of people were were. Excited about having you on the podcast the first time. So the second time around, it's even more excitement. So looking forward to getting this in. And uh, the first question I wanted to ask you was, you know, you're, uh, you're displaced from, from England and the World Cup's going on. And I was going to ask you, uh, is this the year that the England national team finally lives up to their World Cup potential?
0: Uh, The England national team, it's funny. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm not the the world's biggest soccer fan, which is probably why they they booted me out of the country and sent me to, to go work for the NFL. Um, but the England national team, it always occurs to me, is essentially the Miami Dolphins of international soccer. Oh, um, no. Everyone gets excited about this is the year, uh, and then uh, ultimately they, they, they tend to let, let me down. Um, so I, I don't think I'm going to raise my hopes too high. In fact, I think I'd probably be, um, I think the Dolphins might wind up uh, doing better, even in the World Cup, than England will do. <laughs> so, right, now but- watch them go win the whole thing. Who knows?
1: What yeah. do I know? <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly right. As we all are the same way. So when you get over here, does it become does it become soccer or is it still football? I mean you're a guy that works in football, so I imagine that's kinda of difficult for you.
0: Yeah, I definitely it, it has become uh, soccer and then when I say that to people back home they roll their eyes at me.
1: <laughs> and they tell you to go back to America probably. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I know all our fans love soccer here on the podcast. Uh, football fans seem to just love their soccer. If you can't tell a hint of sarcasm in my voice, it's because I'm laying on thickly. <laughs> but let's, get, let's go ahead and get some Dolphins football here. In the offseason, it's been – there's a lot of ambiguity in the offseason for the Dolphins, and I suppose that really just depends on your connection to the team and how you feel about the team. But the Dolphins are selling the whole thing as a culture remake and finding guys that prioritize football. Henry, you know the list of check marks they're hitting off. So I have a two-part question for you here. Do you buy the line that the Dolphins are selling what the Dolphins are selling in regards to the culture remake, and do you feel like they executed that plan?
0: Um, I guess um, yeah. Look, I, I I I kind of buy it um, at least in terms of the narrative. And um, if you want to look at the players that they got rid of, you could probably group some of those guys in a in a way that that would make sense or, or make some sense and equally the guys that both they acquired through a free agency and then drafted um would would seem to fit the bill so that's a story that that would seem to fit i would hope that on top of you know the culture remake it's also about football ability i mean that that surely should be the most important thing is are we bringing in guys are we losing guys that we can afford to lose and And I think you know we you and i when when I was last um on the phone with you, we talked about the national media perception of the n f l and I think of the dolphins from from sort of the rest of the n f l and looking in, you're saying, wait a second you know if if you if if you told me to close my eyes and and name five dolphins players, then Jarvis Landry and Sue and Pouncey and all those guys would have been top of the list uh, uh from a you know from a national media that don't spend a lot of time on on the team so wait, what are you doing? You guys lost your best players. Have we replaced our best players? I think that remains to be seen. But I I think um, that if you want to sell it as a culture remake, then, yeah, they probably uh, have achieved that. I guess my biggest question, and, and this probably goes into the second part of yours about how I feel about them executing that plan, is this is year three for Adam Gase. And if he didn't like the culture as it was, he's had plenty of time to fix it. And, and the interesting thing to me is that, you know, on top of the, the roster changes and, and sort of football personnel changes that we've talked about, some of the other changes took place within the coaching staff. And that's really where the culture is set from and driven from is him and then his, his people below him. And if he's had to you know, two years into, into the program, blow that up to some extent and bring in new people because he didn't like the culture that they were driving and clearly there was a very obvious example of that last season uh, with the offensive line coach that, that's a bit more of a question mark and that's one that's really on him because he obviously had misjudged those people um, when, when he hired them at the outset
1: well, that's a perfect segue into my next question because I wanted to talk to you about the coaching staff and it seemed like, you know, a, a lot of coaches come in and they just remake the entire staff, but Adam Gase had a lot of holdovers from the Joe Philbin era and it seems like yeah. I, I think for the most part they're pretty much all the way wiped out and you see this message from Chris Kusarek, for instance. He's the one that really seems to drive home the point of playing with your hair on fire, playing fast tempo, all this stuff. So, before all the, you know, the roster moving and shaking happened, the coaching staff purge was the big news of the offseason. So, are those early returns positive on these guys, as far as them being good teachers and motivators?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think uh, they. It sounds like he's got the people that he wants. I mean, obviously, I haven't been in the building and, and watched them teach. And I think teaching is an important thing, especially with you know a, a lot of new people and and a system that's different to what was being run last year, obviously, with Jay Cutler at the helm, at least on offense, and then the previous year where I don't think they really fully integrated what Adam Gase wanted to be doing on offense. So the teaching part of it with new players and with a new system is going to be the most critical one. And you saw it in year one with Gase where he did try to institute his own system at the start of the season without maybe regard for the players that he had. It started slow, and it wasn't. It didn't look great to begin with. I think um, the the... It's it's hard to return a verdict on these guys until we see what they look like in the preseason and the first few games of the regular season. Did it really stick? Um, do we have the right players to execute it? And and was it was it taught well uh, in a way that that it it becomes second nature to players and they're playing fast because that is you're exactly right. The one thing that that certainly improved, you know, on top of the culture piece is, is just general team speed. It's great to, you know, the the conversation the last couple of weeks has been who's the fastest player? Is it Jakeem Grant? Is it Albert Wilson? Whatever. It's great if you can run fast in a straight line, but can you run fast in a straight line while you're supposed to be executing plays? And um, that comes down to how well do you know the offense and how comfortable are you within that offense.
1: And that's why, like you mentioned, the integration of all these new guys. It's important to have guys like Danny Amendola, Frank Gore, Josh Sitton, all these guys that are experienced in certain offenses in the league. And then you have Ryan Tannehill coming back who can really kind of portray what Adam Gaze wants into the offense so I'm excited to see what happens like you said though it's gonna wait we're gonna have to wait until September because every year we do this Henry it's it's always this team's gonna be this good this team's (laughs) gonna be that bad and then we're always wrong so and there's such a fine line a fine margin of error in the NFL that The games can go either way, and that's why you have so many teams that wind up being, I guess, for lack of a better term, lucky, like the Buffalo Bills last year. Maybe even the 2016 Dolphins were lucky. So I just don't really see why there's so much disconnect in terms of them being this awful team that can't possibly win a game because the roster is so much deeper than it has been in the past.
0: Agreed. I think it's it's so much deep, deeper. But like I said, it's also you know you lost some you've lost some of those big names that people were familiar with when they didn't really think a lot a lot about the Dolphins, but knew that they'd paid a lot of money for Sue and they had Landry who was playing well and all these things that that you know now that they're gone, it's easy for them to say. Well, I don't know who their replacements are, so I'm going to assume they're
1: bad. Yeah, and that's exactly right. So that's what we're here on the podcast for, trying to educate folks and, and putting a lot of time into this team as I do. I'm pretty excited about it because I go back over the 2016 offense, and I saw the offense start to kind of grow and devolve into more of what Adam Gates had ran in the past with like Peyton Manning, for instance. With more deception, more jet sweeps, more like swing passes to guys that are just the way they did things. It was more exotic and more unexpected. And I think they had a lot of success doing that. So I'm excited to see what happens in 2018 with those guys.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I I, um, I I I've gone back and and you know watched snippets of those um, of, of of that those late season games before Tannehill Hill got injured in twenty sixteen. It was exciting watching it. That's a team that you know you want to get behind. You want to watch and and um, and hopefully they can they can be uh, they can be that again.
1: Yeah, we're looking forward to it. It's, it's been a long time coming since we've had any excitement around this team, pretty much since the Ryan Tannehill injury. But we have plenty more with Henry Hodgson coming up next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. It's at Wingfield NFL, at Lockdown Fins, and at NFL UK, Hank. As we recap the offseason with Henry Hodgson here, I want to take a minute to talk to you guys first about improving your on-field performance. Don't go the way of Julius Thomas, Lawrence Timmons, or Mike Pouncey. Get back to your all-pro playing days with BlueChew.com. Listen up. BlueChew.com, that's blue, not red. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, After a big dolphin's win or a debilitating loss, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no more in-person doctor's visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkward conversations. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners only. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's blue Enter promo code LOCKEDON and try it today for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast.
2: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: All right, continuing the podcast here with Henry Hodgson of NFL Media. Henry, the national narrative we've been talking about on the podcast, both times you came on really was kind of one of the main sticking points we talked about. But the narrative is the team is talent barren because of the offseason losses we talked about in the last segment. And I just see a roster that it might lack stars at the moment, but there are certain positions where there, there really is a lacking in terms of overall talent, the linebacker group, defensive tackles, tight end positions, they might be cause for concern. So which of those positions of any position group, really, are you worried about the most?
0: Yeah, it's a funny one. I I I don't know if it's been published yet, but um, Greg Rosenthal occasionally hits me up if he's doing a, a piece about kind of the whole AFC and it has a common question. Um, and uh, and earlier in this week, he uh, he he shot me a, a text and said, "Hey, I'm writing a piece on." Um, on what should be the the position that Dolphins fans are most worried about? I think it's a you know, weak spot for each team, and I, I think for me it's the run defense as a whole. Um, it's you know it's the defensive tackles and the linebackers up the middle. I think we've improved team speed, but l- the loss of Sue is not something you can you can just sort of throw off. I think it's exciting that Jordan Phillips is in the contract year and and maybe he he's stopped being an underachiever. I think you know Taylor and Godshaw were good last season. I think Hakeem Spencers an interesting player that they've added there but all of that's kind of hypothetical Um, so to me uh, it's not so much a position group as are the Dolphins going to be able to stop the run because they're definitely going to be better in the passing game, Their, their secondary has improved, they're going to be able to rush the passer we've seen that but if you can't stop the run, it's a it's a it's you know it's going to be a red flag for every single team coming in there. And then you know the more you commit to that, the obviously that's when passing lanes open up and and things get tricky on the back end.
1: And it kind of seems like their strategy was to have certain areas where maybe you're not as strong at, but find a way to avoid. Or to kind of hide those areas that you're concerned with, because like you mentioned, the run defense—if they can get out to leads, that becomes less of a concern. You look at the backup sure. quarterback position. If Ryan Tannehill's healthy, it doesn't matter that Brock Osweiler is as terrible as he has been. So you Brock hope Osweiler is not going to be on the team yeah. when, the, when when training camp is over. Uh, yeah, I, told, I think it's going to be David Fales. But you look at what they invested into the backup quarterback position. There wasn't a draft pick there. There wasn't really—I mean, Brock Osweiler was your top free agent signing at the position. So I just don't think. I think they're they're hoping that these back end pieces that could become potential issues can be hidden by other strengths in the team.
0: I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, when it comes to backup quarterbacks, my theory has always been that you, you can you can spend as much time as you want to looking at who the backup quarterback is and getting worried about, you know, what happens if, if the starter goes down. 95% of the time in the NFL, if your starter goes down, no matter how good your backup is, things aren't going to be great. Um, and, you know, it's hard to, you know, the, the ones – The ones that, when that happens, uh, those guys quickly become starters, whether it's with that team or or elsewhere. So uh, I I don't feel... I don't think anyone should be spending time you know really getting worried about Dolphins backup quarterbacks because if if Ryan goes down again we, we have a big problem uh, and it, it's um, it's not going to be solved by, by substituting one backup quarterback for another guy who's a backup quarterback
1: that's exactly right I, I completely agree with that and you look at a lot of people want to point to Case Keenum or Nick Foles last year and if you just look at the offenses and the schemes they ran last year it was they were really integrated into a system that benefited what they did well and that's why I'm excited about Ryan Tannehill this year because they have an offense that suits his strengths the quick short passing game get the ball out of his hands quickly he's a good decision maker operate off of play action just getting him to capitalize on all of his strengths could be a huge benefit for this team and I'm just curious do you think that he steps up and has the year that we're hoping he does or do you think maybe the perception continues that he's a middling quarterback or does he revert back to being his rookie year where he wasn't very good at all?
0: I, I, I mean, I, my certainly my hope is that we see you know second half of the season before he got injured in 2016. Ryan Tannehill, that 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 was a guy that was playing as a top 12 quarterback in the NFL, and his arrow was was firmly pointed up. But it's really hard to say you know 20 months later or whatever it will be by the time the season kicks off um, whether we're going to see the same guy. Certainly, it sounds like he's been playing well during OTAs and minicamp over the last couple of weeks. Um, but you know, that's, that's not real football. Um, and uh, from the sounds of what he was doing last season, and you saw it a lot during the season where he was traveling with the team, um, you know, despite his injury, um, He's he's immersed himself into Adam Gase's offense, and maybe when you know they started twenty sixteen, and he wasn't able to to really perform, I think at the level that Gase wanted him, and, and, and equally that was due to the parts around him, and, and especially in the running game, um, so that they adjusted the offense again, maybe slightly away from what Gase was looking to do. I think he 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 knows that system. He's lived in that system, albeit not playing, but but certainly understanding what it's supposed to do, what calls to make. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So that when when they hit the ground in week one, he can be a leader. He can get people in the right place, and and he can make it happen. So I, 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 you know, I'm an optimistic Dolphins fan. I think he's going to be good, and I think he's going to surprise people. And I think the national media narrative is going to have to change because he he's he's a very capable quarterback. But I would also say, and I think we discussed this last time, the jury, you know, the jury's definitely out. This is this is his last chance to to be a top 10 quarterback if he's not then I I don't think you're ever going to be able to turn around the perception
1: yeah that's exactly right too and and, you know perceptions are hard enough to change in this league as it is and you know I actually saw a piece on on SportsCenter last night of all things where they had Jeff Darlington talking to Ryan Tannehill and he got a lot of time on that segment and I was thinking you know this will be a great story if it works out the way that we hope it does because they were showing the training camp footage of him going down last year and him on the sidelines talking to Jay Cutler just the encapsulation of it all seems like it'll be a story for you guys to really run with. And I'm sure that'll be fun for you if that time comes.
0: Sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I think, I think, you know, we, we again we talked about that national media perception last time we um it, it won't be difficult for people to jump on board and you know people will love talking about the idea that he's a you know comeback of the year player candidate and all those types of things if it goes right um and i'm sure there'll be lots of people saying oh i, I saw this coming all the way um but uh, but the truth is you know it's going to have to be from the start of the season i think i think if it happens it'll surprise people because there's such a consistent idea that the dolphins are going to be a bottom five team in the league.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen one national publication that says otherwise. So, Hopefully, exactly. hopefully they're the wrong ones. I mean, I personally, I had the Jaguars at three and 13 last year, and that was because of my disbelief in Blake Bortles. So, I mean, what, like you right. said, what do any of us really know? So that that's the big sticking point um, for me with this team, with the entire league. And I just kind of, you know, I guess we'll wait and see. But as for now, uh, we got more with Henry coming up on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. It's at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. And you can find Henry at NFL UK Hank.
2: part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: All right, it back up here with Henry Hodgson of the NFL Media. And Henry, we're talking a little bit about what Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gaze are as far as their connection together. And a lot of coaches tie themselves to quarterbacks. We see Sean Payton with Drew Brees is like probably the, I mean, besides Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, Sean Payton and Drew Brees is one of the best marriages in the NFL. And that's kind of what you're trying to emulate. So, do you get a sense that if it doesn't work out this year, if things don't go as planned, are we looking at a, a big blow up, a big exodus, maybe even larger than the one we just had this past season?
0: Uh, it's a great question. I think um, in my mind, if things go wrong this year, uh, I think Stephen Ross remains an Adam Gase believer. Even after last season, and I think he, he to some extent gets a pass for Tannehill's injury and and obviously having to bring in Cutler at uh, relatively late notice. Um, I would say if if they if they lose, um, it'll be beca- you know it'll partly be because Tannehill doesn't play to the to the to the levels that we were just talking about. Um, i I think Cannahill would have his job at risk in a big way, especially you know with his contract. I would say that if if Gase, if they lose, but Gates doesn't lose the locker room then I still think Gase is safe for another year and gets a chance to bring in his own guy. Obviously, Tannehill, not his his own choice of quarterback. I would say that Tannenbaum maybe also becomes a, a sort of sacrificial lamb in that situation and the Dolphins, you know, and, and probably Gase would win a power battle in that, in that situation where, the you know, maybe it's Greer and, and, and Gase and Tannenbaum doesn't stick around. But it, it, it's really difficult to say because it depends what a losing season would look like. Um, and you know what the voices are that coming out of the locker room. That the risk that Gaze takes, I suppose, by being wanting to be more authoritarian, is that if things don't go right. Um it breaks up a little bit quicker because um, you know everything's tight, and then all of a sudden people get frustrated, and and you start hearing those anonymous sources saying whatever it is.
1: And I really like that approach too because I lo- I see on Twitter a lot of times that this is this is it, no more excuses, and it's like well you know a synonym for excuse is reason, and I want to know the reasons why things happen. So I really appreciate that approach in terms of what what caused it to go wrong because like you mentioned right. you know this this is really a hand picked Adam Gase team right now at least in terms of what they've done to change this off season and so i'd really have a hard time seeing steven ross give him this type of authoritarian authority, <laughs> authority easy for me to say with the, with the roster changes and then make a change just 16 games later
0: yeah exactly so we we have to see what happens you know i still have a have a belief that Gates is a good coach. Uh, I think you know we still believe in his offense and you know in the same way that you sometimes see a general manager kind of come in, inherit a coach, and then fire that coach, and then sort of get themselves another year or two um to prove it with their Hand-picked coach, I think you know ha had that opportunity, and now is is through that cycle. It sort of then extends down to Gase, and he could you know cast Tannehill under the bus a little bit uh, if if it went that way, and say, okay, look, I need to bring my guy in. I want you know I wanted Baker Mayfield, and I, I wasn't able to go get Baker Mayfield as an example. I don't know if that's necessarily exactly the truth, um, but uh, but next year I want to go draft my quarterback, and I want to do it my way
1: and you give him the... the,
0: Then you're you're on the hook. Then he's on the hook, right? If it doesn't work out there, then, you know, he gets his year, he gets his two years. If it doesn't look like it's going the right way, then then you've got to move on. But the, the cycle of Dolphins' team's Firing GMs and firing coaches and bringing in newer GMs and inheriting a coach and then firing that coach and bringing in their own guy—you have to break it. And I think the only way you can break that is by saying, "Okay, look, we—you know—two years ago, I said I stood in front of you and said Adam Gates is the next Don Shula. <laughs> you don't—you don't get rid of the next Don Shula three years in because things didn't go that well with a guy that he didn't pick at his own quarterback."
1: Hundred percent agree with that. And you—you you, like you mentioned, the proverbial timer starts when you draft that quarterback. So I guess he's had a chance yeah. to kind of elude that distinction so far in his career but you talk about the change of the, the roster in general and obviously you know Jarvis Landry was a big decision to make and to not pay him the money that he wanted and Henry I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question I didn't put it in the notes for you but I want to ask you your thoughts on the recent Jarvis Landry Tannehill beef that might be one of the most inconsequential beefs in NFL history
0: it definitely is that it's also I think it's the most one way beef because <laughs> yeah. Tannehill's been smart and not responded um it's funny when I saw it. You know, we loved Jarvis Landry as a Dolphins uh, fan because he had that chip on his shoulder and he played with that attitude and everything else. The fans of thirty-one other teams not such big fans of Jarvis Landry, I think, over the last three or four years when he was in Miami. Now that he's on another team, we're seeing it from their perspective, and maybe we're like, you know, maybe this this guy isn't all we thought because he was wearing our colours. But I don't think he's doing anything different to what he would. You know, you always saw him chirping on the field. You always saw him, you know, pushing players and being maybe being a little bit over aggressive after plays were over, which was great. It was set set the tempo for for what we want the Dolphins to do. It just looks a bit different and feels a bit different when he's doing it not in your team's colours. Um, so. It, it, you know, you, a guy with a chip on his shoulder is only going to get more of a chip on his shoulder when he didn't get paid in the city that he he feels like he produced in. And then, you know, I guess his 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 career path or his plan his own plan would have seen him maybe having more choice in where he wound up. Um, and uh, and obviously that's not the way it went. Yes, he got paid, and certainly no one is going to um, probably uh, begrudge him that because he he earned the money, albeit. You know, the Dolphins um, decided that they weren't going to be the ones that paid him, and he wound up in a place where they had a lot of space to pay him that amount of money. But uh, it was unnecessary for him to say about that about Tannehill, but it's not unlike him to say that about
1: Tannehill. I just think the part about it that's really weird to me is that he said there wasn't a good relationship there, yet there's pictures of them together like doing things off, like outside of football, and he deleted them off his Instagram. That's, that's the part that really, really kind of gets my craw
0: it's disingenuous but I mean you know I don't think anyone should be looking at Instagram or Twitter or anything else and saying okay well that's what real life is (laughs) like whether it's with NFL players or anyone else you know they're whether, whether Jarvis Landry runs his own Instagram account or not, and, or decides what to, what to write on Instagram or not, um, it, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, part of that is positioning. He's hardly going to go on Instagram and say, went fishing with Ryan Tannehill today, but didn't really have a great time, and, <laughs> and wish I'd been somewhere else. So I, I see those things. I've certainly heard those things, and, uh, and I understand it, but I don't think you can take everything you see on social media literally and say, okay, this, this is um, the truth um, verbatim. On the other hand, the idea that that Tannehill never went out of his way to to set up passing camps with Jarvis Landry is is clearly not the truth. Maybe he didn't do it in a way that was quite as uh, as fun as uh, the Instagram friendly um practices that it looked like they were having with uh, with Landry and and um Tyrod and all those guys, you know, that we were seeing earlier in the off season. But that's not really Ryan Tannehill's personality. Um and and um and you know, I don't think he should be pretending to to want to to, to be an Instagram star with uh, during a during a practice with Jarvis Landry, I think it's better they just get down to business
1: so So is it safe to say that Ryan Tannehill and Jarvis Landry were that couple that when they're on Facebook and Instagram, it's all roses and unicorns and then you see them in real life and they're always fighting?
0: Well, I don't even know about always fighting that. I just don't think they were that close. I mean, their personalities, if you look at who Ryan Tannehill is and you look at who Jarvis Landry is, you wouldn't necessarily, obviously, opposites attract in, in some cases, but you wouldn't necessarily say these guys are going to be hanging out off the field and going to bars and whatever else. That's not, you know, it doesn't feel like it's, it's, uh, it's those two guys. They were, you know, that, that's what, there, there's a ton of those examples in football where you have these, these players who have fantastic relationships on the field and throw touchdowns to each other and, and clearly that, you know, for Tannehill, Landry was his, the ultimate comfort blanket like Hotline had been before and Anthony Fasano and whoever else. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to translate to the to the to them going out for dinner every night.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because people think that just because you place the same position or you work together on the field, that your off-the-field relationships going to be this dazzling thing. And I have a buddy that played for the Seattle Mariners for a couple of years, and he, he was a— a hunting, fishing, white very white guy, you know, and he would hang out right. with the guys that would hunt and fish themselves and the other guys did their own thing. So there's definitely a culture clash when it comes to professional sports and you just can't expect these guys to be friends no matter what.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, it, it's. Um, I don't think it's a big deal. I think we'll all have forgotten about it. It's one of those things that during uh, a week in June um, lasts a little longer than it would do if it was happening when there was actual football or, or something else interesting going on. But uh, Jarvis Landry wants, wants a little attention. He got a little attention. I don't put it as anything beyond that.
1: Yep, we all want stories this time of year because it's going to be a slow six or seven weeks here before training camp. Exactly. And as we get to training camp here, Henry, I'm going to have to put your feet to the fire. I think I asked you last time, but now we have more evidence to build off of it. What is your prediction for wins for the Dolphins, and what place are they going to finish in the AFC East?
0: Uh, I'll take that. The I'll take that question the other way around. I think they're going to finish second in the AFC East. That's the good news. Um, uh, you know, rookie quarterbacks on on the Jets and Bills, or at least backup type quarterbacks on the Bills if, if their rookie doesn't wind up starting this year. Um, but uh, I still don't think that necessarily translates as much more than nine wins for Miami. Um, and I think that will be an improvement and I think it will be a better looking nine wins. My question is, you know, they've been slow starters in games um, you know, we've often seen them get behind early in the first half and then have to claw their way back. And, and obviously in that miraculous 2016 season, there were a bunch of comeback wins. They've been slow starters in seasons. We've seen that um, under Gase and, and before that as well. I, I you know, I could see that happening again this year and them having a really encouraging finishing finish to the season. Um, but I, I think um, not just because of the games at the start of the season, but also because of that. And because of the, the relatively new roster and new coaching stuff, I could just see it being a sort of a slow start, an encouraging finish, and missing out on the playoffs in, you know, week sixteen or seventeen, despite having, you know, just about a winning
1: record. And the the shame of that would be that despite the fact that a lot of people are picking the Dolphins to win three, four or five games, even if they went eight and eight or nine and seven, the fan base still would not see as enough.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. They, you know, Dolphins fans um, typically have very high expectations for the team uh, in a situation, um, regardless of of what the roster looks like. I could see maybe us finishing nine and seven, but finishing strong. And then you go into the the twenty eighteen draft period, looking at do we should we be replacing um, Ryan Tannehill? Is Adam Gase's job at risk, or, or was the finish to the season strong enough? Um, and and then it, obviously that leads into into questions for 2019 as to as to what the plan would be. But you know, hopefully, um, and I've seen this a few times through through my tenure as a Dolphins fan. If you have that strong finish, you're seen as a, a sort of sneaky hot team heading into the 2019 season. And then maybe it works out this time, especially uh, you know in a division where potentially the Patriots are, are at risk of of falling off with with. Brady and and maybe Belichick and maybe Gronk coming to the end of their career um and you have a le- more of a level playing field in in the AFC East. Although you know we'll have to see what happens with those two young
1: um, first round picks in in Buffalo and in New York. And if the schedule you know holds true to what we think it is right now, a strong finish to the season would be very encouraging because you have the Jaguars at the Vikings home for the Patriots, and also a trip to Buffalo, which is always tough for us. So if they find a way to navigate themselves through like a three to one finish, that would be very encouraging, like you mentioned. So very exactly. good. Exactly. Very, very good stuff, Henry. I really appreciate coming on the podcast today. Again, you can catch him on Twitter. He's at NFLUKHank. He is the digital content editor and front page editor of NFL.com and all kinds of stuff over there at NFL Media. You're doing fantastic stuff, Henry. Thanks again so much for joining me today. Thanks, Travis. It's great to talk to you. And likewise to you, my friend. And there he goes. Always such a pleasure to talk to Henry. Love having these conversations with him. Gives us a good insight. And he kind of grounds me a little bit. Usually I'm a little bit too optimistic and he kind of brings me back a little bit. You can still see he has confidence in this team going forward. He's obviously a big diehard fan so it's always fun to talk to somebody like that, especially when he has so many connections in the media. And He talked a little bit off the air about how when he was at the Pro Bowl a couple years ago in regards to the World Cup, they were trying to do these personality matching tests, trying to find out which player should root for which teams and some of the players were having a hard time grasping the concept of the World Cup and soccer and all that stuff. So Good stuff there from Henry as always. uh, Hopefully we'll get him on again soon but as for today's podcast, that is going to do it. You guys be sure to please subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts. leave us a rating leave us a review check out the other locked on sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams give me a follow on twitter at lethal nfl follow the show at locked on fins follow our flagship show at locked on nfl both on twitter and facebook of course lockedondolphins.com. you guys have a terrific rest of your monday we'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of locked on dolphins podcast your daily dose for miami dolphins football